listening to the Money Monopolizers Podcast, helping you take control of your financial destiny. It's about time that we invest more in our financial literacy and work towards building generational wealth. If you think you're ready to do the same, then you've come to the right place. Alex, Marlon, y'all ready? Let's get this bread. What's good, everybody? It's Alex Camuyo here, and I'm here with my co-host, Marlon Walls, and we're back for episode four of the Money Monopolizers podcast. Marlon, how you doing today, bro? Man, Alex, I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm actually in a different location today. I'm in Houston instead of being in Lafayette, Indiana. Um, I was here for my girlfriend graduation this weekend, but it's all over now. And I just want to make sure we get this podcast recorded, get another one put out. Yeah, let's get into this episode. What we are talking about today is, like I said, a hot topic of renting versus owning. So today it's a, I mean, it's a big debate about, you know, whether people want to, if they should rent or if they should own, um, depending on what stage they are in life. Usually, I mean, you're young, fresh out of school, whatever the case may be. A lot of people say, just go ahead and rent an apartment, get an apartment. Or, I mean, and usually, I mean, whenever you, you know, establish yourself somewhere, you should settle down at a house or kind of establish your roots. That's kind of what people say. So today we just kind of want to present to you um, the facts of renting versus owning mm-hmm. and kind of just show you, give you an objective point of view on it. And then also, and then towards the end, we're going to make sure to give y'all a, a subjective you know, point of view based off of our perspective and, you know, what we kind of, how we look at the situation. So I want to, we're going to talk about it in terms of the financial and the logistical aspects of renting versus owning um, and some of the advantages and disadvantages to each of them. So the answer to this question, I mean, it's, there's no one answer we can honestly sit here and give you. We can't sit here and tell you, oh, you need to be renting or you need to be owning. Um, obviously, we have our biases and our point of views, and we'll kind of get into that at the end. But for the main part, this is going to vary for most people um, based off of just your situation, it, it, your lifestyle, your your uh, place in life, you know, the, your finances, that kind of stuff. It's going to vary for everyone. But like I said, we're going to give you the facts and we're going to give you the information you need in order to make an informed decision that's what we like that's that's what we want to do with this podcast is give people information to be able to make informed decisions um as opposed to you know just reacting emotionally and uh making decisions based off of you know society and that kind of stuff so there's a lot of information out there that people don't know in regards to this subject of renting versus owning a place to live um so we're gonna kind of get into that so the thing about it is usually the bias leads means more towards ownership right because a lot of like businesses such as like uh, mortgage lenders agents home improvement stores you see a lot of those commercials out there brokerages and all those kind of things you see commercials out there ads billboards all that stuff and that's kind of conditioning people to believe that ownership is better than renting right it's kind of it just it just if you see it all the time you're always it's being pushed onto you sort of you're always thinking okay ownership 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 you don't because you don't really see a lot of you know apartment complexes or property managers or uh, that kind of stuff advertising out there. I mean, they'll do their own you know marketing and stuff, but as far as the commercials and that kind of stuff, you're never going to see that kind of stuff out there. The disadvantages and advantages to each. So you just have to be able to make an informed decision for you um, and how it, it it fits best for you. So one thing um, I, I was just thinking about that you just said 
know, like it's, it's pushed on a lot of people. I think that's why um, people view owning in such a high light. Like that's why people always be like, oh, this is my biggest asset because it's been pushing so, like yeah. such a, a big thing, a big goal to accomplish. Like that's people's biggest goal is just to own a house because and they, so they hold it in such a high light because it's been advertised at, as such instead of so they see renting like oh that's normal but owning oh shoot owning it's like it's like a big time thing yeah especially whenever you're like you know young and just out of school they definitely is not they're not they're not going to tell you to go go buy a house right just graduated school most people aren't going to say that's a good idea so but one thing about it so like i said with this episode we're going to provide you in a perspective that's objective first and then we're going to give you the our point of view our it's going to be a little more subjective obviously and but one thing about the objective point of view is looking at it also from a economical standpoint so when i say economical i mean in terms of what is more economically practical for you and this is actually something that's studied by a lot of uh financial experts this is actually like a big uh topic of understanding so and one thing about it that a lot of people don't uh actually consider think about because i mean the information it's not taught in schools or it's not really taught anywhere it's another one of those things that society doesn't teach you and mm. when it should or in school doesn't teach you when it should and there's something that i actually wanted to, point, to touch on with this and that is actually it's called the price to rent ratio so but the price to rent ratio is just comparing like the economics of buying versus renting. So it's going to tell you what the cost of renting or buying is relative to that market. So it's different for every market. It's going to look different for every market. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what it is the price what the price to rent ratio is um, is the median home price of a market over the median rental price. So like I said, it's going to be different for each market. So the median home price in the U.S. Is around three hundred thousand. Let's just say three hundred thousand for simplicity's sakes. And the median rental price in the U.S. is fifteen hundred, about fifteen hundred. So what you're doing is dividing those two values. So you're going to take the median home price over the median rental price over the year. So the median rental price that we said fifteen hundred times twelve, that's going to be divided by three hundred thousand. So, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to get too technical. This is just really very simple way to like kind of look at I'm gonna explain more what this number means. So mm-hmm. if you take three hundred thousand over fifteen hundred times twelve, because it's fifteen hundred dollars per month times twelve months a year, you're gonna get seventeen. So what does that number mean? So this number is that's what the price to rent ratio is. So this number essentially is telling you uh if it's more economically feasible to rent in a mar- in in a specific market or if it's more economically feasible to uh buy in this market. So a lower number is typically seen as 15 or below. And I'm going to go through each of these. So 15 or below, that means it's cheaper to buy a property in that market than it is to rent there. So a city like uh, in Detroit or a city in the, in the Midwest would typically have a low price to rent ratio. Because mm-hmm. that means this is a city with a higher rent and lower price houses, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So rent is rent is rent is more expensive relative to the housing prices so it's all relative though so in detroit i mean or any city in the midwest the number there is going to be like the price to rent ratio there is going to be like a five that's how that's how like strong it is and like i said it's from 15 or below is the lower range 
the mid, the moderate range is between 16 and 20. So it, when, whenever it's here, it's probably more economical to rent. But because it's like in the middle, depending on where you are on 16 or 20, it could lean either way. So if you're like on the lower end, you know, 16, 17, okay, then you should probably uh, be looking more towards buying based off the economy. And if you're on the higher end of that uh, middle range, like, you know, 19 or 20, you should probably be looking more towards uh, renting. So this is like a city like San Antonio or a city like Houston, for example. This is where you're going to be in a more moderate range. San Antonio is probably mm-hmm. a better example than Houston because Houston's so saturated. But that's kind of in this – San Antonio is probably in the more moderate range. And San Antonio is about, you know, 16, 17. So – the higher range, and this is the last one, is 21 or above. So when you take that, you take that median home value and divide it by the median rent times 12, you're going to get 20, a number that's 21 or above. So this is saying it's more economical to rent here. So this means properties are too expensive relative to the rental rates. So in like San Francisco, for example, the median home price is $1.4 million. And the median rent, me and Marlon was just talking about this earlier, is $3,690. <laughs> Which is insane. That's for a, a, a one bedroom. A one, one bedroom, bedroom costing thirty six hundred dollars. Insane. Wow. So yeah, and, that, that's ridiculous, man. Yeah. So cities like this, you're gonna get like numbers that are like thirty and above for your price to rent ratio. So, for example, if you take the median rental or the median uh, home value in San Francisco of 1.4 million and divide that by the median rent of 3690 multiplied by 12 you're going to get a number that's i think like 31 or something that's what it was when i did the calculation that's insane that is ridiculously high and i mean that's but you got to also think cuz that's only relative to that market so it's mm-hmm. it's saying it's more it's more economical to rent but it's still that's, insane yeah. to be renting there <laughs> basically you just took away i got from that is just and if you live in San Francisco, you paying a lot regardless because that's it's telling you that renting is better at thirty six hundred versus yeah. that if you pay if you pay for the median home price, you actually pay more. It'd be economically, I guess you could say, unsmart uh, to uh, buy there because it's just so the market is just so high in real estate yeah. prices. So it's actually smarter to rent there, even though it's thirty six hundred. Yeah, it's still a ridiculous rent, yeah. but it's just saying okay, if you want to look at it from economically. Like feasibility from the economic mm-hmm. standpoint, then yeah, you should be looking at it. You should be looking at renting there. So mm-hmm. that's the way uh, the economic the market is going to tell you to look at it, right? right. That's going to be that's a perspective based off of how the market is doing right now. And uh, another thing to just a side note on this: in two thousand eight, whenever the market did crash and you know there was a housing bubble, there, this ratio actually increased dramatically. So in hindsight, I mean, moving forward, if that does happen again, that's going to be a red flag for the market. So mm-hmm. for the house, for a housing bubble that's looming. So, I mean, right now it's, it's not terrible. It's a great market right now. It's a great seller's market right now, but you know, it's definitely right. It's on the rise right now. So. Yeah. So, so that's basically just giving a couple perspectives on uh, what the, what the markets told you, like just different biases in the, in the society. I know a, a big, a big bias for most uh, people our age is just like renting should be best. I think 
most people would consider renting like it's like the first step as far as in college or just freshly out. Then they may look to buy a house later. But it just depends mm-hmm. on who it is as far as what, what buyers you may get. And so like you had the um, the people who are in the real estate business, like agents or um, say uh, any department stores that they, they'll advertise a set of, uh, buying a home because that's where they make their money. If you buy something, they'll be in business. So it just depends on what yeah. you're looking at. But yeah. I want to I want to do say one thing that no matter um, if you buy or rent, I do want to point out that this isn't an asset regardless, because if mm-hmm. it's not making you money. I know that's one thing that we want to talk about a lot on this podcast. If it doesn't make you money, it's not an asset. So I yeah. want to dispel that myth right there that people always say, oh, my home is my greatest asset. If it doesn't make you money, by definition of asset versus liability, it's not an asset. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, we just want to keep that keep that in mind as we go forward with this with the rest of this episode. And yeah. uh, we so like you were saying before, we'll give our objective view on it, on like the uh, advantages, and advantages and disadvantages of renting and, and owning. And then we'll give our personal opinions and our perspectives on it afterwards. Yeah. So make sure you stick to the end to catch that. Uh, what yeah. we got to think about it. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> but yeah, so I think we should uh, trans- transition a little bit now into the av- disadvantages and disadvantages of renting versus owning. So mm-hmm. just to begin with with renting, I want to start hitting on a couple advantages just so we can give that neutral perspective. So yeah. just starting out, I would say renting uh, provides flexibility. So that's usually a stigma that people have is that they can move they can move whenever they want to. It, you can either sign a month to month or a yearly lease. And so after that, you have no more obligation to wherever you're staying at. So if you mm-hmm. choose to stay in a location for, say, six months, you might have a month to month option for six months or just a six month option altogether. And then be like, OK, yeah. I'm done. Just like in school, people usually get a one year lease because they know they're, they're going to graduate in May. And then they're like, OK, I'm, I'm gone from here. So that's mm-hmm. usually why you see a lot of people running. For a lot of young people, they're gonna. That's how the way they're looking at it. They're looking at it from terms of flexibility, and that's the way mm-hmm. society is pushing it to you. Like, oh, keep running until you know where you can, you know, settle down and establish exactly. your roots. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's. I mean, you can look at that as an advantage. Yeah. So you go. You yeah. can go ahead. Continue. Yeah. Another one, as far as an advantage goes for renting, is the you have a fixed price every month during your term of your lease. So you'll never see any fluctuation. And like your total uh, monthly costs as far as rent. So if the rent says six hundred, it would just be six hundred every month. And it's, this is especially the case if you don't have any variable ex- expenses such as your um, utilities. If the um, if the property mo- property management company pays all the utilities or the landlord pays the utilities, your uh, rent rent will remain constant all, all throughout, and you won't yeah. ever go up or down um, in, in that rent amount throughout the term of the lease, at least. Yeah, and a, a a last one I would say as far, as far as an advantage is little to no maintenance. So if say if a light bulb goes out, you just call your property management company and just be like, "Hey, my my light bulb is out," and they'll come and fix it for you. Or if your toilet is messed up, they'll come fix that for you as well. So it's basically saying mm-hmm. you don't have to have the same responsibility as you would if you were owning a home. I wish I wish a tenant would call me because the light bulb went out. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it before. Hey, it's very, it's very real thing. Shoot, she, Shikana is an example right there. Like she's had a light go out. Property management company, can you come fix my light? 
It's crazy and from a landlord perspective that somebody wants you to come fix their light for them. But that's how people view renting. Like they feel like I, it's not my personal property. So I don't have any responsibility in here as far as managing it or ma- maintaining it, really. I can guarantee I'm not going to replace your light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's just every property management company may be different. Some, some may take a long time. Like, hey, man, come on, a light bulb. Like, <laughs> you just never know. Bro. But. And just to add on that real quick, I mean, it's about a light bulb, but really it's even on a on a larger scale too. So if you know the roof goes out or, or you need to replace the roof, the water heater goes out, or electricity goes, uh, you need a panel replaced or something. Right. None of that's on you. So exactly those uh big ticket expenditures. So or you know, those kind of things that typically are big expense crushers. <laughs> right. So but yeah, let, let me Get into some of the disadvantages now of renting because there are definitely some. Um, yeah, definitely. Typically, whenever people do talk about the disadvantages, the main thing that most people say is, "Oh, you aren't gonna, you aren't putting anything towards ownership." So mm-hmm. each of those rent payments are going to pay off the mortgage for the owner. You're building mm-hmm. the owner's equity or that landlord. You're building their equity in that property. We're gonna get into what equity is later, but you're kind of. You're putting money in their pockets every month. Exactly. That's what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that rent payment that you are paying is just profit for that owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a profit margin built in. I mean, only uh, any smart investor or landlord is going to have profit margin built into their uh, rent. They're not, nobody just wants to collect the, um, <laughs> the, enough money to pay the mortgage. They want to collect exactly. money to pay the mortgage and make some little money on the side, known mm-hmm. as cash flow. You're so. Right. We'll get into a little bit more of that later on. But uh, another disadvantage, rent increases after the lease expires. So what more signs than unless, that, yeah. Yeah. So typically, in order to keep up with uh, inflation, like we talked about uh, in the couple episodes ago, rent they have to keep increasing the rent. Mm-hmm. No, it's, rent increases are common everywhere. Uh, every year, they, pro- they happen every year. So whenever your rent goes up, after you lease expires, it's you can't avoid that. That's going. That's inevitable. Unless you're like with a what's called a mom and pop landlord, where it's just like you know a little like a person that's individually managing your property. If you're like in a four unit living in a four unit apartment, mm-hmm. then you probably have like a you know like an individual that's their landlord. They might be a little more lenient on that kind of stuff. But if you're in you know a three hundred unit apartment complex, good luck trying to escape a. A exactly. rent increase. You're not gonna. It's not gonna happen. The only way that you're gonna escape a rent increase is if you're in like a high price market, like Los Angeles or Seattle, where they have something known as rent control. So rent control is essentially just a cap on the uh, percent of rent increase that landlords can charge every year. And there's like ordinances on this in Los Angeles that actually limit it because the housing market is so expensive over there. But it's inevitable. It's gonna happen no matter mm-hmm. where you are. It's still gonna happen eventually because inflation is just you can't avoid you can't get away from inflation so yeah so marlon you got any other ones to add to that before we move on to the next part 
Yeah. Um, so like on, on your first point, you said you, you said um, you're not putting any money into ownership. I was basically just thinking like your, your money that you spend is never seen again. So if you have a thousand dollar rent payment every month, you will never see any of that thousand dollars again. So that's over the course of a year, a thousand dollars times 12 is 12,000. You basically threw, threw twelve thousand dollars down the, down the drain. You'll never see that money mm-hmm. again. It doesn't become equity. It doesn't become any form of liquid asset. You never you don't have any. You never recoup any of that money, basically. Yeah. And and I thought about property management companies. You're at the, you're at their mercy, uh, technically speaking. It's like if you have a bad property management company, then if you have need something that needs to be repaired, have something that needs to be repaired. You would never like it. It may take two months or two or three months to come get them to fix your toilet. If they have a, if they're a bad property management company and they don't, they just are just don't come to fix to help you out or uh, fix anything up. Mm-hmm. And also with property management. Um, if a property management changes, you may see a drastic increase in rents if there's a better property management company that comes in. So say if you're paying $300 in rent for two or three years and you've been staying there for a while and a new property management company comes in and they they, they fix up everything really nice, but then they up their rents up to 600 instead of 300 because they were drastically undervalued in that market. You may That may be something that you're subjected to but because you're, you chose to rent over buying. Mm-hmm. And that's also, I mean, if if the owner decides to sell the property, which they can do anytime, mm-hmm. then the new owner is going to come in. They're going to have new property management, or even if then they're going to make the decision. Okay, this place has been undervalued, and that's something that commonly happens within real estate investing in a uh, multifamily and uh, apartment syndication and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll sell an apartment complex. The new owner will come. And they'll say, "Man, this place is undervalued. We need to definitely increase the rent here so that we can um, increase its value." Because the way they're evaluated is based off of the income that they're generating. So they have to increase that income somehow. And usually mm-hmm. they do that. They might fix up the property a little bit and then they'll decide to go ahead and jump up the rent. And a lot of times that leaves them with vacancies. People move out. But, you know, it happens. So Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. Many people are completely fine with renting and don't mind that they aren't contributing towards ownership because they believe they're in a stage in life where they don't want to be tied down or aren't ready for the responsibilities of home ownership. If this is your way of approaching this, I want you to truly think about if this is your way of thinking of it or if this is a societal stigma that's being forced on you. If you haven't, you should sit down and take time to calculate how much money you're spending in total on your living expenses every month. Seriously think about if you're okay with how this money is being spent and then do yourself a favor and consider if you can get a better return on this money through ownership. So now so now we're going to transition sort of into owning now and look at it from look at the objective uh, standpoint from owning or about owning so um we're not going to sit here and tell you about any of the intangible stuff that comes with owning because you know i always hear people say whenever they're talking about this uh whenever that you should buy because you get you know stuff like stability and you belong to a community or you get pride of ownership and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff that i don't care about that stuff i'm trying to give you the facts the facts based off of the fine the financial standpoint and the logistical standpoint All right. so these but but before we do get into before we get into those um we kind of want to dispel some of the fears though of buying because a lot of people have fears when it comes to this stuff and uh, there's really just myths there are things that can be dispelled just because i mean they're they're not either not true or there's ways around it mm-hmm. so the biggest one that i always hear whenever because i ask people um whenever i do talk about this 
and people say, and I ask them about, you know, what is their standpoint on it? And if they say renting, I tell them, okay, why are you opposed to buying? I asked, always ask them that question. And a lot of people, the biggest, especially young people, the biggest thing, the number one answer is people think that it's going to, or people say that it's going to tie you down, right? So mm-hmm. most people approach the decision based on not wanting to be tied down to a location. They say they think owning a home is going to leave them there or have them, require them to stay there for, I don't know, the next 10, 15 years or however long they want to keep the house. But that, you know, it's, that's, that's something that can easily be dispelled and we're kind of getting into that later. But, you know, just cause people say, though people, most, people hear, people will hear the 30 year mortgage and that kind of term and they think, oh man, 30 years, I gotta be in that house 30 years. But exactly. That's, that's not the case. It's, so Marlon, you want to kind of talk about some of the other uh, fears that people have? When yeah, they- this is, this is a very big um the thing that I get answered or that I see all the time in society, like um, I have a, a whole bunch of t- talking points on this because I just this is something I'm really passionate about now because I just want to dispel people's myths that they have about buying because they so they're so against it starting out. So number one, I wanted to talk about is they fear responsibility. They feel like if they get, buy a house, then like we said earlier with um, with the cons of buying, they feel like oh man, I gotta. Uh, handle anything that may come up all the expenses all the variable expenses like a roof getting messed up or i gotta cut grass now i gotta do a whole bunch a whole bunch of maintenance to the home but um so it's basically like they feel like they got to grow up and they just want to stay at this um with this young mentality and i will say now this responsibility is something that you have to um take on if you do choose to buy versus rent a house but it's not as bad as you think it's just taking a new step it's like it's going into the realm of the unknown something you haven't done before so that's why people are really scared more so than just responsibility itself is just taking on something um another one is pmi this is uh, something i heard recently uh, I was talking to somebody and they mentioned that they wanted to put tw- they needed to put 20 percent down on their home in order, in order to buy it. That is uh, to avoid this thing called PMI, which is property mortgage insurance. And it's basically something that the bank tags on as in, onto your um, loan. If you own if you own personally under 20 percent of the home and people feel like it's, it's like that's like an extra 100, a couple hundred dollars a month that you add on to i think that's actually an exact percentage that you uh, get added on like point point eight percent or something uh yearly and people are feel like oh if, if i buy a home i'm gonna get property mortgage insurance so i'd rather not buy one because i don't have 20 percent to put down on the home but at the same time i'm thinking why would you want to tie up that much money in the first place because we'll talk about this later on when we uh start explaining more about owning but um you don't have to put down 20 percent that's not that's not a requirement. You can actually go as low as three percent, and you can use the other seventeen percent of that twenty percent and go invest it, or go, like to invest it in an asset that'll pay for your uh, property mortgage insurance. It's just a way of thinking differently about it, as opposed to being like, I just don't want to pay. I'm gonna incur, incur a new expense. I don't want to. I just I rather put twenty percent down to avoid it. You can just get something to pay for that, which is called an asset. And lastly, it's just a lot of. Um, other fear of the unknown type um, and type uh, fears that people have. So I mentioned last week how people uh, think it's necessary to put 20% down on the home. I just mentioned this just now. You can go as those 3% and it's just like, just give an example of that. 
if you had a hundred thousand dollar house, you don't need to put twenty percent. You don't need to put twenty thousand down. It would take your people. Most people would take a long time to save twenty thousand dollars, but three thousand may sound much more feasible. Um, so that's why I like to tell people that you don't need to uh, put down the full twenty percent. Especially like in another case, if you buy in a higher area, so a hundred thousand dollars may maybe sound sound like something that's normal in say Texas or Indiana, but if you look in a place like Seattle or something, you may see home prices that rise up to five hundred thousand. So twenty percent of five hundred thousand is one hundred thousand, and you no longer take to save a hundred thousand dollars, and you're gonna just drop all that into the down payment of a home in order to <laughs> avoid the property mortgage insurance or whatever the fear of the unknown may be just but just to dispel that myth that you need to have 20 percent to put into a home is really can go as low as three percent but i think we'll explain exactly uh, like the, the loans that go along with that later on and i think the last thing that people fear is just getting started because it's, like i said it's the fear of the unknown it's something that you haven't done before and it actually reminds me of a um have an analogy that I saw in, in one of the books I was reading, uh, The Magic of Thinking Big. It's basically laid out that there's a paratrooper. The uh, As a paratrooper, the, the part you fear most is the actual jump itself. Like you basically psych yourself out all the way leading up to the jump of jumping out of a plane and just uh, just uh, with like parachuting. The the part that psychs you out the most is just the approach, like get, getting to the point where you actually do the action. And that's exactly what happens with uh, owning or buying a home. People psych themselves out and imagine all the variables, what could happen, what may happen, but actually it didn't never end up getting started. But the whole thing with this is that you won't gain more confidence by waiting for the perfect time to get started. And that just basically give your mind more time and more reasons to not begin mm-hmm. and, or to not take that action step. Yeah, the longer that you take to kind of make a decision, the less likely you are to follow through with it. And that's why exactly. uh, that's why, you know, when you get a job offer, the employers, they be pressuring you to kind of accept that offer sooner rather than later, because they know mm-hmm. the longer you take to to accept it, the more likely it is that you're going to not accept it. So Right. But just to end all this, because that's my last this, that's my last fear of the unknown. Um I do want to say that learning the process will mitigate this fear. So um, the more you know about it, the less scary it is. So uh, understand that you had to pay 3% instead of 20% will mitigate the fears that you have with buying a house because you don't think you have to save $100,000 to buy a $500,000 home. Yeah. And But in the end, I think it all comes back to taking the action, though, because you yeah. can learn it. You can like the paratrooper. You can know what to do, but if you never take the action, you'll be more scared of it as you continue to um, think about it. So yeah, let's I mean let's help people learn it. Let's help. Let's give them some knowledge right here about you know mm-hmm. kind of some of the advantages and the disadvantages of owning, and some give them some information <laughs> so that they can make an informed decision for themselves. Exactly. Um, so as far as the advantages for owning. The main reason people was going to say owning is better is because of the opposite reason that people will say renting is uh, worse. So whenever people so whenever people say you should own, they're going to say it's because you're building ownership into something, you're putting money into something. You're you're gaining a, an asset. You're gaining your your biggest investment. That's what people are going to tell you. So whenever people say this, 
essentially what they're saying is that you're building equity in uh, a property. So mm-hmm. equity is the dictionary definition of equity is the value of the house minus the mortgage on it. So, but what it is, I mean, in layman's terms is pretty much how the percentage of the house that you own, how much of that exactly. property do you own? So for example, if you bought a house for a hundred thousand and you got, you put 20% down on it. Now you have 20% equity in it when you start paying that, when you start paying that mortgage. But I mean, as the mortgage goes on, time goes on, you're gaining more equity because you're putting more towards the equity or Mm -hmm. towards the principal, towards that principal balance. So the thing about a mortgage payment is a mortgage payment is known as the pity, pity. So pity is an acronym for principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. Mm -hmm. So the principal on a home is the value of the house, the actual portion of the house that you're paying down. So that's the actual amount that the house is worth, right? That's the amount that you got the uh, loan for. That's that's the chunk of it. That's the chunk of their mortgage payment. It's the principal. Um, the, now, the I in pity is the interest. The first I is interest. So interest is the interest that you're paying on that loan. So in order to get a loan, banks are going to give it to you with an interest rate, right? Obviously, no one's giving out free money. So whenever you're paying interest on it, it, it varies. There's you can be paying anything from 3% up to a ridiculous number like 6 5, 7% depending on the market. Right. So obviously the more interest you pay, the more the more expensive your mortgage is going to be, your pity, your payment is going to be the pity. So there's that. that's the main portion of the uh, interest part. And then there's taxes. So on every home, you're going to have to pay taxes on it, obviously. Property taxes are the, are the bulk of it. So uh, here in Texas, how it works is you pay... Property taxes are, in Texas are a lot higher than a lot of other states because there's no income taxes here. And in Texas, because we have independent school districts here, they, they, the way that independent school districts are funded, as opposed to other states, they're funded through property taxes. Mm-hmm. So that's why property taxes here are so expensive. But that's also why school districts here tend to be a little better in, in certain areas. So for in other states, I mean, schools are not independent. There's no ISD. The ISD is an independent school district. So there's none of that. They don't have those in other states. That's really only a Texas thing because property taxes here are so high that they just use them to fund the school districts. So that's usually where the bulk of your tax money is going whenever you are paying property taxes. You're paying for those school districts here. So that's the tax portion of it. And the taxes, the way that is assessed is based off of the value of the home. So the more your house is worth, the higher taxes you're going to pay on the property taxes you're paying to that county. Um, so, yeah, every year they're going to really go up. Um, and then the last thing is insurance. That's the I of the pity. So there's P-I-T-I. The last thing is insurance. So the insurance is exactly what that is. It's the insurance. It's the part of the it's the risk part that you're uh, covering for the there's someone that's covering your home, the homeowner's insurance. There's somebody that's covering that and you're paying them every month to Make sure if anything happens that it'll be covered. They'll mm-hmm. they'll replace it for you. Or they'll fix it for you. They'll take care of it. And there's a bunch of things that so depending on where the house is and uh, the type of house and what you're doing with the house and the people living there, the interest or the interest is going to be really different. There's mm-hmm. all types of insurance too, depending on obviously depending on the area. Here in Texas, you're going to have a lot of places where you're going to be playing flood insurance, especially if you're in a flood zone. Good luck with that. You're going to be paying ridiculous amount of money for insurance. But then, see if you go somewhere like California, then you're not you're paying something like you're paying earthquake insurance now. Exactly. So it just varies on the region, obviously. But 
that's the that's the main uh reason people say owning is better is because you're you're paying more of that principal balance down you're owning you're you're gaining equity so equity is essentially a savings account you're contributing to um another reason that uh or another advantage of owning is because the home values increase every year so when the home values increase every year you gain equity in that house right because remember what i said the definition the definition of equity is it's the value of the home minus the amount uh, of the mortgage, right? So if you have a higher value and you subtract the mortgage on it, the mortgage isn't going to change, but the value is increasing. Now you're gaining more equity in the house, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. So now, now you're every year as the house appreciates, appreciates, appreciates. I mean, um, all things being equal, you're going to gain more equity without even put paying more money. You're just naturally gaining more equity. That's called appreciation. That's just, mm-hmm. that's market appreciation. So that's what that is, uh, and that's you know that kind of ties into you know the main the the first part, uh, the first advantage I just spoke about, but the, the, the third one that I want to kind of touch on is it's not, most people don't think of it, this one, but I mean, that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying to pr- provide you the information. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, the, because the government allows you, if you buy a house, they allow you to pretty much claim tax deductions on your mortgage insurance and your property taxes when you file your tax returns. So every year in April or whenever you file your tax returns, you can claim this as a deduction. The You can claim your mortgage insurance that you're paying and the property taxes that you're paying. So the amount of insurance that you pay over the life of the loan is not going to actually be the amount that you're going to pay if you do recoup some through uh, your tax returns. It's not mm-hmm. significant. to I don't I don't think that will warrant you to make a decision like, oh, I need to go uh, own. But, you know, it's definitely something that is consideration. So. All right. But now, yeah, let's get into those are the bulk of the advantages. Those are the re- those are the the biggest uh, reasons people will look at you know renting or owning as opposed to renting. So yeah, let's get into some of the disadvantages now of owning. Um, so earlier we we're talking about about when we we're talking about renting, we we're saying uh, some of the disadvantages were throwing away money whenever you're renting. All that money you're never going to recoup that. You're never going to see that again. Well, you're still doing that too whenever you own too. Some of that, some of that is going on into uh, or some of that is happening whenever you are paying that mortgage so earlier we just i just finished talking about pity right the p-i-t-i of your mortgage payment the p is the principal i is the interest t is the taxes and then the last i is the insurance mm-hmm. so the 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 t the taxes you're not you're not going to see that money again ever you're paying that to the county they're using that to pay for the school districts so but the biggest thing that you're really throwing away money on is the mortgage interest the I, the second, the first I of the pity, right? Mm-hmm. So mortgage interest, like I was talking about, is the interest that you pay to 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 be able to have that loan, right? No one's giving mm-hmm. away free money. Banks aren't giving out free money to you. So in order to get this loan, you have to pay interest on it monthly. And you even pay some up front sometimes too. Um, but the in the beginning of the life of the loan, the interest is going to be the majority of your uh, payment. So exactly. There's a term that's used widely in economics. It's called amortization. So amortization is essentially just a gradual reduction of a debt over a given period. So it's just your payment breakdown of your interest paid, the principal paid, and the loan balance over the life of the loan. So, for example, if you have a hundred, if you have a hundred thousand uh, dollar loan, thirty year mortgage at four percent interest, right? So. Every payment that you make, every mortgage payment that you make, the principal and interest on it, we just talked about pity, the principal and interest that you make, it would be $477 for the life of the loan. 
But in the beginning, you're going to be paying $333 to interest and only $144 to the principal. So as the life of the loan goes on, you're going to see the dispersion kind of change. So the you're going to be paying more to principal and less to interest as time goes on. So in theory, if you got the loan today, it'll take you 13 years until you've seen it, until you'll be paying even amounts of uh, interest and principal. So mm-hmm. the first payment, you're going to be paying 333 to interest. And then the last payment, you're finally going to be paying $2 to interest and 475 dollars to the uh, principal. And that's mm-hmm. crazy. That's essentially how banks are making money. This is why you know banks are considered investors too. They're making money off of this stuff just from that kind of stuff. They essentially on that on a hundred thousand dollar loan, you're going to end up paying seventy one thousand dollars in interest at four percent. That's insane. These yeah. banks, they know what they're doing. <laughs> so that's definitely something to consider. That's throwaway money. A lot of that in the beginning is throwaway money. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is the maintenance. You're going to have to take care of all the maintenance. So. I mean, there's no way of avoiding that. If you own a house, what you gonna do if water breaks? What you gonna do if you need a new roof? What you gonna right. do if you need to replace an electrical panel? You gotta pay for it, and those are expenses that you're gonna have to be able to cover. So that's something to consider. Okay, so another disadvantage that a lot of people probably don't really think about, but actually should consider, is that the market is really gonna be determinant on if you're able to sell your house or if you should hold it for a little bit longer. If it's a mm-hmm. seller market like right now. Right now, if you sell a house and it's, I mean, a decent house at a good price range, it will pretty much, it's like almost guaranteed to sell right now because the market is such a seller's market. It's so hot, especially like, I mean, it depends on where you go. It's really city specific, but in the majority of the U.S., it is a seller's market. Sometimes, other times, it's a it's a buyer's market. So it just depends on the time that it is. Um, right. Mom, you got some other ones that you want to add? Yeah, one thing you just mentioned with the uh, with selling or buying, like for instance, and in, when when the market crash, you you risk owing more to the bank than what your house is worth or what what it could yeah. sell for. So because of that, you don't you won't be able to sell your home and be able to pay off your pay off your loan. So that will force people to have to hold their hold their home a little bit longer, if, even if, even if they don't want to. So yeah. that's something that people do consider. That's why people choose to not be so highly leveraged in some cases. Mm. It's, so it depends on how long you want to hold your home. Yeah, I just want to say what because there's a term for that they call that just so people know that's called being underwater on your uh, mortgage. So whenever mm-hmm. that happens, You're underwater. Yeah, exactly. and you typically in order to sell it, you have to do what's called a short sale. Um, mm-hmm. We're not gonna get into that right now. We'll get into right. that in real estate episode, but it's a mm-hmm. whole <laughs> process you don't want to be involved in. Exactly. But yeah, the last disadvantage is just that you have to pay more up front as opposed to renting. With renting, you may have to pay the first and last month's uh, payment. So basically, that, that was tell you need to pay your first month's rent and then pay a security deposit. That's equal to the last month. That's equal to one month's rent. So that's just mm-hmm. that's all you have to come out of pocket. With a yeah. when you're buying at home, you have to come out come out of pocket your down payment, however much that is. So you can go like I said earlier, three percent, or you can be twenty percent of the purchase of the price of the home. And then you have to also consider closing costs. Closing costs usually average around 3% of whatever the value of the home, whatever the, the purchase price of the home is. And that goes to like, to like title fees, to um, any inspections, to getting appraisals and stuff like that. So you have to also consider that when you're buying a home. Many people believe owning a home is the better alternative to renting because they're gaining ownership towards something and making their biggest investment in life. 
If this is your way of thinking, I want you to understand that the personal residence that you live in is not an investment. When you own a home that you live in, you are essentially just renting out money. The bank purchased the house for you and you are paying them back for it every month in addition to some extra, which is their profit for giving you that money, otherwise known as interest. Yes, with every payment you make, a little part of that payment goes into a savings account called equity. This is what people consider ownership. Now, if you're comfortable with this, then once again, at least do your future self a favor and consider if the portion of your income that you are contributing towards this ownership is the best return you can get on that money. Could you possibly be getting a better return on your money through a different living situation? Think logically, not emotionally. So yeah, these were basically some advantages and disadvantages of both renting and owning. But since owning isn't something that's really taught much like to people growing up, mm-hmm. I wanted like to just to highlight a few logistics behind buying and understanding what you need to do in order to get started. So from our personal experiences, we can already tell you that the two key members of uh, buying a home is going to be your agent and your lender. And I will recommend always getting a great agent before you find a lender because usually great agents know great lenders. And so finding an agent that can work with you, that can basically provide you with different housing opportunities in whatever area that you're in. They, they know the market very well. They know what you should be paying for. And then they can also recommend you to lenders. And so I want to move in more into the lending process. Um, lenders require you to get a pre-approval before you uh, buy a home. Well, actually, it actually uh, speeds up the process of um, getting into the like going through all the closing at the very end before you buy the home. If you get pre-approved, that means that when you go to your lender, they're going to require you to give them to do a background check. Um, They're going to look at your credit, your credit history, your uh, payment history, like how how much are you getting paid like the last two payments? Are you is it consistent? Is it enough to be able to support this this loan you're trying to get to, in order to buy the house. And then, then they're going to look at this thing called DTI, which is your debt-to-income ratio. They're going to look at how much debt do you currently have, and then they'll compare that to how much more would you incur if you were to buy this home. So if, yeah. you, if your debt-to-income is a certain margin, they'll be like, okay, you have too much debt. You need to pay down some debt before we are comfortable giving you this loan. Yeah, so tech- Typically, they want the they want that loan to be thirty three percent of your income. That's what the I mean rule of thumb is. Typically, for most people, they say thirty percent uh, or a third of your income should be going towards uh your housing expense. So the mm-hmm. from from the lender's perspective, you got to think of it from the lender's perspective. They got they got to cover all their uh you know make sure they're 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 covering all the liability that could possibly happen on their end. So they need to make sure that you have good credit and that you are getting a consistent income and you don't have too much debt. That's kind of they're covering all their loose ends before they give you that loan. So that's kind of what the pre-approval process kind of entails. But you exactly. go ahead and keep going. Yeah. So um, just, just to tie in a little bit more to like other logistics that, that come with buying a home. Uh, if you're an owner-occupant, like I mentioned earlier, I keep on mentioning this because people really don't, don't know this. And it's something that is like essential is how much do you need to have as a down payment? So your down payment is the how much equity will you have in a home when you first purchase the home? Most people, like I said before, think you need 10, 20 percent in order to buy a home. Uh, and that's just not the case. There's different like different loan processes that you can go through. And I want to highlight a few of them. One of them is called the FHA loan or the Federal Housing Administration loan. This loan 
it allows you as an owner occupant to buy purchase a home at three and a half percent as low as three and a half percent down and they'll give you a 30 year 15 or 30 year amortization loan as alex mentioned earlier amortization and you'll be able to own the home basically move in for only three and a half percent down now yeah. at this in this go ahead i forgot go ahead. oh i just wanted to comment on that just because um though i wanted i want people to understand the like why it is the way it is and that pers- like why that loan is out there so um whenever the housing market crashed in like 08 you know the the reason one of the reasons it crashed was because they were giving out loans to everyone. They were giving out zero percent loans. So the rules changed to where you need to put more money into it, more money into it. So mm-hmm. the FHA, like Marlon said, is the Federal Housing Authority. So they insure the loan. So the lender who the lender that's gonna give that loan to you is working with the Federal Housing Authority, the US government, and they're gonna insure that loan. So if you default on that loan, the lender has no liability. The government is gonna pay the lender back. So mm-hmm. The lender doesn't care. The lender will easily give you that loan. But the government is the one that's insuring that loan through the lender. And the government is doing that so that, I mean, they can encourage home ownership and that kind of stuff and help people that are first time home buyers. So it's just a program that's out there that I just I just wanted to kind of highlight that and why that is out there. That was was very good points. That's like a little bit more detailed into it. Yeah. So another uh, type of loan that you can get as a uh, first time uh, home buyer or owner occupant is a conventional loan. With a conventional loan, it actually depends a little bit more on what the market is. Right, right now, you can go as low as 3%, but other times, like in previous uh, years, it may have been as low as 5 or 7% as far as your down payment goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's just going to be that's dictated, especially like when the market crash, they, they may want you to have a whole lot more equity in the home as a, in the form of a down payment. Yeah. Uh, so it just depends on the, time, the timing, really. As we looked at the advantages and disadvantages of renting, it's important to keep in mind that we presented this topic completely objectively. So what do we think? Well, when you ask most people about renting versus buying, they'll probably tell you something along the lines of rent now so you can be flexible, then buy a place when you settle down. But to me, this approach is pretty lazy and you aren't doing your future self any justice if you approach the subject in this manner. As we said before, when you just accept what society says you should do for no justified reason, you're thinking emotionally instead of thinking logically. The financial implications from your place of residence are going to significantly affect your financial future, whether you realize it or not. Like we said, no matter what, the house you live in isn't an asset if it doesn't make you money. It's a liability. So it's important to look at your goals and see how you can align your living situation to meet those goals. For example, If you work for a company that requires you to move every two years and your goal is to move up in the corporate ladder within the company, but you also want to invest in assets that generate passive income for you, how can you align your living situation to match that goal? For me, my goal is to be financially independent by age 28. So how does my living situation align with that goal? Well, stay tuned for the next episode because we'll get into exactly how you can financially align your living situation with your life in order to achieve your goals. So that's it for this episode of the Money Monopolizers podcast. New episodes will be releasing every Thursday and will be available on all platforms. You can also find out more info about us on Twitter at the Monopolizers, IG at Money Monopolizers, or you can hit us up on our social media pages at Acumuno and at Deuce Walls. But until then, we out of here. You've been listening to the Money Monopolizers podcast, helping you take control of your financial destiny. To learn more about how you can be in control of your money, visit moneymonopolizers.com. We'll catch you next time.
when Alex and Marlon share more personal finance and wealth creation tips with you. Now it's time to take action.